Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the special way riding a bike is stored in your memory, an unsolvable paradox that dates back to ancient Greece, and what causes the smell of fresh rain. We originally ran these stories in December 2018, and they're so good we remastered them just for you. And not only did we remaster them, but we also have a lot of new stuff to say at the end of today's episode. So stick around to hear our fresh takes. But right now, let's satisfy some curiosity. When there's a skill you learned a long time ago, but you're a little out of practice, people always say the same thing about it. Don't worry, it's just like riding a bike. You know what they mean. Sure, you might be a little rusty, but you'll get right back into it, no problem. But did you ever wonder why that is? In other words, why is riding a bike like riding a bike? We have the answer. And I can barely ride a bike, so I would say this can also apply to, like, driving a car, for instance. I haven't owned a car in 10 years, but when I get behind the wheel, it's not like I don't know how to drive a car. Well, you could see if cars are like that in someone else's car, Cody, because I'm not going to let you drive my car to find out. I see what you did there. (laughs) Safe. Safe and smart. (laughs) Being safe. So the answer to the question of why riding a bike is like riding a bike comes from a 2009 study from the University of Aberdeen. The study looked at all kinds of motor skills and memories, including not only riding a bike, but also skiing, swimming breaststroke, eating with chopsticks, and performing yo-yo tricks. They found that a particular type of nerve cell known as a molecular layer interneuron acts as a gatekeeper that controls electrical signals leaving the cerebellum. Basically, when you learn a new motor skill, there's a cell that turns the signal from your cerebellum into a code that gets engraved in your memory. That means that your motor skills are encoded in a particular way that allows them to be easily accessed, even years later. Your memories aren't all encoded the same way your motor skills are encoded, though. That's why not everything you've ever done will come back to you like riding a bike. There are two different types of memory, procedural and declarative. Declarative memory can be called knowing what, and procedural memory is knowing how. You can't just say how to ride a bike. You need to actually do it to know how. So riding a bike sits in your procedural memory. By the way, your declarative memory comes in a couple different flavors called episodic memory and semantic memory. Episodic memory is how you recall events from your own life. Semantic memory calls up factual information like the 16th U.S. president or the capital of Iowa. Abraham Lincoln and Des Moines, by the way. Thanks to the fun ways your brain works, you might remember how to ride your bike through Iowa even if the last time you rode was four score and seven years ago. Ashley, do you have a favorite paradox? Yes, I believe it's this statement is a lie. Is that the liar's paradox? Yes. I love the liar's paradox. I'm actually, I have something to say about the liar's paradox, but I'm going to save it till after we talk about this Greek one. Ooh, all right. There's a little tease for you. Today we wrote about the crocodile paradox, and this is a logic problem that came from ancient Greece. Here's how it goes. A crocodile has captured a little kid. Being the reasonable crocodile that he is, the croc promises the kid's dad that he will release him only if the father can predict what the crocodile will do next. The kid's dad says, you will not give my son back. Now the croc's in trouble. If the dad was correct in his statement, then the croc keeps the kid, right? But if the croc keeps the kid, then the croc is not keeping his promise to return the kid. But once the croc returns the kid, the dad's prediction is no longer correct. What should the crocodile do? 
spoiler alert, there is no answer. But that's the fun of paradoxes, right? As the philosopher Kierkegaard once said, quote, the thinker without a paradox is like a lover without feeling, unquote. And the liar's paradox, I love because I just saw Kirk and Spock use it on an android in Star Trek, the original series, in the episode I Mud. Kirk and Spock use the paradox to overload this machine, and that's kind of a sci-fi trope that if there's an android or, or other artificial intelligence, they'll use a paradox like the liar's paradox to kind of overload its circuits and then overcome it. Oh, wow. I wonder if we could feed a paradox to IBM Watson and see what happens. Ooh. Cody, do you like the smell of new rain? I love everything associated with rain. Really? Yeah. Like you just like, you like getting wet. You like puddles. I love rainy days. I love listening to the rain. Wow. I, everything and everything precipitation. I love when it snows. I'm just, yeah. I'm and you a, like the smell? I think so, yeah. I hate the smell. Really? Yeah. I don't know what it is. It smells like dirt. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. And you know what? I feel like I'm vindicated now that I know what it really is. Whoa. So a lot of research went into this, including work from a team of Australian scientists and a team of MIT scientists. And it was recently rounded up by Tim Logan, a professor of atmospheric sciences at Texas A&M University. He boiled down the answer into one word, petrichor. Cool. Problem solved. We can all go home. Just kidding. Logan writes that petrichor is the chemical process that happens when rainwater meets dry earth. When the earth gets moist, it releases a cocktail of chemical compounds, including things like plant oils. But the most important ingredient in producing the smell of petrichor is a type of stinky alcohol called geosmin. It's produced by bacteria that live in the soil and break down whatever dead stuff happens to fall to the earth. So rain plus dirt equals geosmin, which creates that telltale fresh rain smell. But you only get that with fresh rain because dryness slows down the geosmin-producing bacteria responsible for breaking down the organic matter in the soil. As the raindrops spatter the ground, they kick up geosmin-containing compounds in aerosol form. Let a few gusts of wind stir things up, and presto, your nose detects the geosmin and that unmistakable fresh rain smell. It can be strong enough that people downwind can catch a whiff and smell an approaching storm. And even if you can't smell petrichor before the rain actually arrives, you might be able to sniff out another telltale sign a storm is brewing. Ozone. The electric charge from lightning splits atmospheric nitrogen and oxygen molecules into separate atoms. Some of those recombine into nitric oxide. And sometimes that reacts with other atmospheric chemicals to produce a molecule made up of three oxygen atoms. Ozone. That has a distinctly sharp scent. So yes, you really can smell rain coming. Isn't nature cool? So you're saying that it's caused by bacteria. It's bacteria farts. <laughs> That's what it is. All right. <laughs> well, you know what? I like the way it smells. That's just fine. Hey, we're back in 2022, where our microphones sound so much better than they did when we were in a big empty room three years ago. Am I beating this to death, Ashley? I think I am. <laughs> but look, I'm just so happy with where we ended up with audio equipment. Hey, let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, starting with the fact that riding a bike is like riding a bike because your motor skills are encoded in your memory in a special way. Basically, when you learn a new motor skill, there's a cell that turns a signal from your cerebellum into a code that gets engraved in your memory. 
That means that your motor skills or procedural memories are encoded in a particular way that allows those memories to be easily accessed, even years later. That encoding is different for memories of facts, which is called declarative memory. And update from the original time we ran the story, I kind of technically know how to ride a bike. I just panic. I, just, I can't do it. I can get on a bike. Here's, what, here's the deal. I can get on a bike in like a low populated area. If I'm on a trail somewhere and I'm the only person, great. But the second I see somebody, I panic because I think I'm going to hit them or I, I think I need to stop. Like, oh, someone's coming near me. Someone's 500 feet away. I better just stop and hang out on the side of this road in case I can't control it because I'm very not confident with it. I don't know how this happened, Ashley, but I'm thinking, I'm hoping that now that I'm out in the suburbs and I have places to ride bikes other than, say, the lakefront path in Chicago, which is always just completely full of people, maybe I'll have more opportunities to practice. And since we're definitely going to teach my son how to ride a bike, I mean, why don't I just learn with him? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, this definitely sounds like something that you just need more experience doing in a low stakes way. Just do that over and over in ways that you don't feel threatened. And then once you get into kind of more high stakes situations, you might feel more relaxed. Could be, could be. You know, even in that story, I mentioned that I hadn't had a car in 10 years. What's funny is when I bought a car and we moved out to the suburbs, the first like month or two, I was a bad driver. But not because like I didn't know how to operate the car. I just, I was skittish. I, like if I was on the highway, I'm like, I was a very, very defensive driver. I would like not do U-turns. Because I'm like, U-turns are, I didn't grow up taking a lot of U-turns. I didn't want to take U-turns. I'll turn up there, then I'll turn out of the parking lot, whatever. Like, it's just, it was weird. And my wife would always just be like, what? Why are you driving like this? And I'm like, I swear, I used to drive six hours to and from college whenever I would go home to visit from college. And I was a pretty great driver. And I never even thought about the road, right? It was totally automatic. But yeah, it's weird. Well, I am getting out of practice because my husband spent years as a performer on the road and he is the best driver I have ever ridden in a car with and I never drive when we're together. So I just enjoy seeing him drive. I get to kick back. And so I only do really quick little errands that I'm doing on my own. And I'm fine with that. Seems fine to me. And we learned that the crocodile paradox is a fun example of a paradox, which refers to a self-contradictory or a logically impossible statement. A crocodile promises to return a child to his father if the father can predict what the croc will do next, but the kid's dad's prediction is, you will not give my son back. The crocodile can't logic his way out of that one, because if he actually does what the dad predicted, then he can't keep his promise. Weird, right? Paradoxes are awesome. Yeah, I feel like we said everything that needed to be said about saying paradoxes to robots. Just keep that one in your back pocket. For the robot apocalypse, which won't happen as we have established. Won't happen. Definitely not happening. A robot apocalypse will not happen. But I've got to tell you, Isaac Asimov's I, Robot, the book, not the Will Smith movie, but the book, I, Robot, tremendous demonstration of how robots can interpret and misinterpret certain basic seeming tenets and rules. I don't know that they get that much into paradox territory, but the way the logic works and the way that robots and machines and AI could interpret certain parts of logic are fascinating. And it's basically the best sci-fi book ever. It's not. There's a lot of other really good ones, but it's a very, very good sci-fi book. 
pretty easy read, pretty quick read. Check out iRobot at your local bookstore. <laughs> and we also learned that that fresh rain smell is a stinky alcohol called geosmin. When the earth gets moist, it releases chemical compounds like plant oils and geosmin, which is produced by bacteria that break down organic matter in soil. So it's basically bacteria farts. Oh, and before it rains, you might smell ozone. That's because the electric charge from lightning splits atmospheric molecules into separate atoms that can recombine into nitric oxide, which in turn can react to other chemicals to produce a molecule made up of three oxygen atoms, which is ozone. So much goes into such a little smell that just makes everyone's life better in the world except Ashley. Yeah, I don't like it. It still still smells like dirt all these years later. I mean, at this point, though, I've talked so much about it that I can recognize that it is a pleasant smell for most people. And so I can be like, oh, there's that smell that most people find pleasant. <laughs> so that's that's where I'm that's where I'm at right now. Well, I mean, the smell of dirt is good. Like, that's why gardening is really good for people. It's like but so it's, many. It's not like fresh soil smell to me. It's like dust, like a dusty shelf smell. No good. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Today's writers were Ruben Westmus, Joni Folletto, and Jessica Stillman. Curiosity Daily is distributed by Discovery. Join us again next time to learn something new in just a few minutes. You don't have to try very hard. It's just like riding a bike. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.